pencil in the apocalypse. I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Maximum Film. It's episode 211, and we got some movies to talk about, or a movie specifically. That's what we do, one movie per episode. But then we do staff picks. All right, I'm not going to get into the weeds. I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. And before we go and get started, I have a quick announcement. If you have five minutes to spare, we could use your help with an audience survey. It will help us keep the few ads we run relevant to you. Go to MaximumFun.org forward slash ad survey to fill it out. Thank you. Look, the choice is yours. We might be doing uh, Dookie Butter tomorrow. Uh, and that's because you didn't do the survey. Uh, what is Dookie Butter? I don't know. Uh, they haven't sent us the, 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 the paper yet. But you can prevent that. By going and do that survey. <laughs> Let me just introduce my friends because Casey is doing, he he's lifted the machete again. So we got to keep the show running. Uh, of course, we have the illustrious, the wonderful, my favorite critic, Alonzo Duralde, Christmas Zaddy himself. What's good? I guess Dookie Butter is? I don't know. I, <laughs> now we've got to Google it and see if this is a thing. Because I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it were, frankly, but... All things are possible. Uh, no, here's what's good. So, um, uh, you know, Dave and I were very happily enjoying free Peacock, you know, because it was like, oh, well, we watch Amber Ruffin and when there's ads, whatever, big deal, no problem. Uh, but Peacock uh, figured out like the the, the the classic drug dealer move of like, we'll give you the first one free and then you're hooked. And they did that with a show that I'm really into now called We Are Lady Parts. And it is a British peacock collab and it is about uh a, a a grad student in london who is a you know fairly devout muslim she's looking for a husband she likes to play guitar but you know she's very worried about doing anything that's too sort of showy or ostentatious because she's a devout muslim through complicated reasons she winds up getting involved with an all-girl all-muslim band uh, a group of women in London who range from like very kind of in your face, punk, pierced nose women to their manager who was always completely covered in veils, but like has a smoking bad attitude. It's a really funny show. It's really offbeat and unpredictable. Uh, the cast is really funny. And this is definitely not the kind of portrayal we ever get of Muslim women in mainstream media. Uh, so it's a show I'm really enjoying. We are Lady Parts. Ooh, awesome. that's really good. Yeah, no, I, you know, Kendrick Lamar said this dick ain't free. So sooner or later, they had to say this peacock ain't free either. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, <laughs> don't you not shake your head, Miss Drea Clark, Queen of the Midwest. <laughs> what I need you to do is tell me what's good. Well, I'm still going to shake my head. <laughs> look at you figured out how to sneak Kendrick Lamar into your commentary. <laughs> yeah, look, I will. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, what's good with me is a tasty beverage treat. So mm. I don't drink coffee, which you guys may remember from the deep dives, both with Iffy and with Ricky back in mm. uh, the Bustello days. Um, so I'm not a coffee drinker, but like a good treat of mine is in the sort of mocha realm. And I've discovered over the years, if you're ever in any kind of like fast food drive through, so many of them in recent years now have a like iced mocha -y, and it's so sugary and terrible for you because it's through fast food. So it's of course the kind I like. So I just discovered Wendy's has something called, and it's of course a stupid name. It's like the frosty Chino. <laughs> and here's here's what elevates it. It's an iced coffee 
And then they have put some of the Wendy's Frosty into it. And like the Frosty is different than any other milkshake. Like it's more malted or more something. It's a real specific thing. Anyway, the Frostachino, I don't feel good about helping that branding because what a dumbass name. Although what else are they going to call it? Fair enough. But you guys, it was so delicious. So good. Once it, oh, just once it hits your lips, just so good. I've been doing Wendy's all wrong. I got to go back now and get one of these. Get it. They do both a chocolate and a vanilla. Mm. And also, Wendy's were available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if the survey asks, Wendy's. If the survey doesn't all go towards Dookie Brother, (laughs) we can make ourselves available to the um, large scale franchise that is Wendy's. Yeah. Mm. If he was good with you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. What's good with me is going to be a slight, uh, a a, a slight little promo. Uh, I worked on a RPG, a tabletop RPG, a TTRPG. Is that a role playing game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tabletop role playing game. It's called Blackbirds. The Kickstarter has started. It's already we had a goal of twenty five thousand dollars. We're already at sixty thousand, but it's a super cool game powered by this Zweehander model. All things that are like Alonzo is wiping his face. He's tired of this already. Uh, <laughs> but I'm waiting it, for words I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's essentially uh, it's essentially a like not it's like a darker uh, dark fantasy game. It's going to be kind of less forgiving, but it's a really cool world that we're building out. Very diverse, you know. D and D has a history, and we'll leave it at that. And in this one, uh, building this you know, world from the ground up, we have the, had the chance to make it as beautiful and diverse while it's still a creepy dark hellscape. Uh, so definitely check it out. It's called uh, Blackbirds RPG. Uh, it's it, the the key art is gorgeous, but yeah, support it. Uh, I'm helping develop it and uh it's something i'm really proud of so oh i'm uh, so happy for you yeah Yeah, that's what we're doing in the basement mom working so hard (laughs) he's being so creative alonzo i keep finding 20 sided dice in his pockets (laughs) when i'm doing the wash (laughs) what the heck is that Oh, is yeah, it satanic? Wild. I don't know. <laughs> oh, look, I was in Catholic school and I remember they're giving out pamphlets that were like things that were satanic. And mm-hmm. on there, there's two things I remember. One being, of course, D&D and the other being K-Rock, which which is if you're <laughs> not from station? L.A. Yeah, it was the oh, K-Rock man. radio oh, station that played essentially pop rock you know and they're like nope that's you get that's the devil's radio you might hear detachable penis and then it's all over (laughs) i woke up this morning with a bad hangover and my penis was missing again this happens all the time it's detachable all right let's move on to the rest of the show today we're discussing malignant we'll return to the hall of excellence and of course we have staff picks i have a fun one today it was another one of those where when i I had a different one than when I started, and then I saw something that made me come up with a new one. But first, it's time for our new segment, Itadic, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? Paramount is changing their release strategy. A new story published in The Hollywood Reporter suggests that Paramount Studios may be shifting their priorities. Last week, it announced that the studio head Jim Giannopoulos is stepping down and Nickelodeon president Brian Robbins is taking over. Many insiders are saying that this is in line with Paramount's move away from expensive theatrical releases, and instead they're moving towards Paramount's streaming services, which include Paramount+, Plus, BT+, Showtime, and many others. Boris Kitt of The Hollywood Reporter says on Twitter, quote, 
What this is all setting up, according to insiders, is Paramount retreating from big theatrical productions to focus on titles, remakes, branded content, cheaper fare that will service its streamer, Paramount Plus, end quote. Is this important? Do you care? I do think for background, it's important for people outside of the sphere to know that the Brian Robbins that they're talking about, who is currently head of production or just studio head for Nickelodeon, played the hot guy in Head of the Class, which was a TV show, (laughs) which was on when I was like, he's older than me. So it was definitely this like, ooh, check out those hunky teenagers. So anyone old enough to have watched Head of the Class. Did you have the head of Paramount hanging in your locker, Drea? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Surely. Dang it. I was trying to think of Sherry Lansing. You bet I did. (laughs) Um, It's hard because making a story about like a studio pushing its streaming as the focus is not like sexy, but it is one of those that I think is very do you remember the scene in The Devil Wears Prada when she's like, they're both the same color blue? And she's like, you think this doesn't matter? And then Meryl yeah, Streep does her right. whole thing the about cerulean her, like, scene. the cerulean scene. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back. But what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue. It's not turquoise it's not lapis it's actually cerulean and you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002 oscar de la renta did a collection of cerulean gowns and then i think it was yves saint laurent wasn't it who showed cerulean military jackets i think we need a jacket here Mm. and then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers and then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. I feel like this is a very sort of cerulean scene. Like, oh, you may not think it will affect you, if a studio like Paramount and then other ones follow and they shift their priorities into streaming and the things are, oh, but come what may in, a, you know, two years when these start rolling out or not rolling out like into just your living rooms, it will affect people because they're like how they're watching things and we'll be watching them a couple of years from now is not only being sort of estimated it's being dictated by like these kinds of things and it's really fascinating cultural shift to watch here in the sort of origin point but i mean i think there's also a bit of what's the what's the dog and what's the tail here you know in terms Mm. of you know theatrical attendance has gone down year to year to year people would rather watch most stuff streaming and so you know i think you know, you you look at, and I've talked about this on the show before, you look at like the top 10 films of any year in the 80s and movies like Terms of Endearment are up there, you know, and yeah. now it's like spectacle. Like we go for Marvel movies and Fast and the Furious and whatever whatever that stuff is. And so like Paramount, I think, because they don't, the only franchises they have at the moment, pretty much, they've got Mission Impossible. Like that's kind of 
they're big so big in terms of like big grosser but also sort of like you know big production kind of movie you know and they're they're maybe i guess trying to bring top gun back from the dead if that movie ever gets to come out but they don't have you know comic books they don't have other stuff the, the way that other studios do and so yeah they're they're basically on the one hand yes they're they're up they're uprooting the the, the current paradigm by being like, all right, fine, fuck theaters. We're just going to make movies for people to watch at home. But at the same time, they're also responding to the fact that viewers for a long time and saying, fuck theaters, I want to watch stuff at home. So it's, it's a little bit of both going on. But yeah, you're right. I think there are major repercussions here if studios just decide they're going to only make movies of a certain size, of a certain scale for a certain amount of money, uh, because that's going to rule out a whole other kind of filmmaking. And it's going to sort of, I think, radically change the way that movies are seen and distributed, um, even like non-studio, non-franchise movies, because... If the studios go away, then the theaters go away. And if the theaters go away, the screens go away. And, you know, it just becomes this whole big. And then uh, what do you do with your weekend? Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I think there's so many of us that have been missing the kind of lower mid range film for so long. Like there's there's this whole chunk of movies where when I say like mid range and I mean 40 million to 80 million as not much money. Realize (laughs) I do not have 40 to 80 million, not to brag. (laughs) But you know, instead of looking at the things that made that budget range really interesting over the years, they're revamping um Pet Cemetery uh, the Italian job, Fatal Attraction, they're doing a reboot. They're doing another paranormal activity. So it's not even like original movies, which almost bothers me more than where I'm watching them. Well, and, and you know, I mean, Paramount, for the most part, like has not been a giant player for the last few years. But, you know, for instance, they they released Fences, you know, the Denzel Washington movie mm. that that movie won, you know, Oscars for him and for Viola Davis. And so it's like, what happens if 10 years from now, the only way you can get fences made is by having it go to BET plus. So what does that do to your budget? What does that do to yeah. how it's perceived as, Credibility. you know, yeah. uh, you know, a film versus a TV thing, like all those kind of questions. Yeah. I, I truly, uh, definitely, um, take uh some fault in this for not taking naomi to see paul patrol the movie there you go. uh you know me not taking her into the theater to see that uh definitely is the one domino this that is on you towards, pretty yeah. much uh but yeah no i i think uh y'all are saying everything that i've been thinking which is just this a shift but it is yeah worth noting that the all the moving pieces in this the most important being the already declining uh movie theater attendance being just ramped up uh with uh, a whole pandemic that has kept us all inside mm. so i think this is just a move to be like well people are taking horse paste uh we ain't getting out of this anytime soon let's stop <laughs> We, they're the, yelling at us the for pushing back time. realization <laughs> that as <laughs> like, a species, we are dumb. Yeah. Uh, really, we're not getting together in large rooms. In yeah. Time yeah. It's like, it was going to take a while. So let's, let's just go ahead and do it. But yeah. It, and so it will be interesting to see because I think you're right. Um, and, you know, I think fences is one way to look at it. But even those like smart, smaller kind of like more artsy films, it's going to be harder for those to get made because though a lot of those creators are going to be pushed to uh you know look at the ip that they have and it's like no okay yeah you have this idea but 
What is your take on, uh, you know, the new Top Gun? What is your take on The Godfather? What is your take on Forrest Gump? I will be writing the Forrest Gump reboot uh, where I would from the perspective of Bubba. I was just going to say that. <laughs> uh, I'm his son. I'm going through, uh, you know, little little trinkets that he left behind. Um, so that will happen. Uh, so, um uh Speaking of the big screen and the people who make the things that go there, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, generally known as IATSE, uh, is considering a strike amid ongoing negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Uh, IATSE represents 150,000 workers across 13 Hollywood locals, including Cinematographers Guild Local 600, Art Directors Guild Local 800, and Animation Guild Local 839, as well as Editors Guild Local 700. Some of the major issues that are blocking negotiations, rates and benefits for streaming projects, which are currently slated at a lower rate under the new media classification, reasonable rest between shoot days, better meal breaks and sustainable benefits. Is this important? Do you care? This yes, is important. It's important and we care. This is a long time coming. Uh, if you're not like, you know, working in the in industry of tapped in, new media has been such a pain in the ass for any type of getting rates. New media has been the back door that a lot of these companies have been able to underpay people. Uh, new, like whether it be in commercials, whether it be in TV, if it was a like, and then like streamers fitting under new media. And we've seen this fight come all the way down we saw it happen with the writers guild we're seeing it happen with sag so this is just another one to really start to establish because new media is this weird thing um where mostly that it's not new anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is possibly the, the weirdest yeah. part of it yeah. oh it, yeah it is it is current media at this point uh <laughs> netflix is so experimental no, you guys we don't know truly when they say new media and you're looking at any kind of contract um they're always they're divided into sections and you have to pay certain things depending on like are you making a feature film for theatrical release above a certain budget and so that's how you determine the base rates that you would need to be paying people like their minimums new media is what they call they made it when people started making just sort of like internet videos so in the kind of mid 2000s it's been around so long that in like 2009 they agreed that that new media they would change the terms of it once it was no longer new and was just kind of generally accepted which is aha, probably like four years ago oh yeah it has still not been changed and yeah like if he said this is it's affected so many different areas like for writers, it's this thing, you get paid less money. You're not doing any less work on any of these, but you're getting paid less money if it's something that's made for streaming or for a website, even if your website is Netflix. So anyway, I am all for IATSE on this. And I say this as someone who's been part of nego union negotiations, but also I think I'm a good person. I think I'm reasonable and I care about other humans. Also, when I'm producing, I want to pay the very minimum that I have to pay. It's built into what you're doing. That's how you get jobs anyway. So it's all set up to be like, great, how poorly can we treat people? And like one of their, their things here, better meal breaks, you have to pay a union positions penalty if you don't stop and let them allow a, a certain amount of time 
to eat a meal. And if you work through it, you have to pay a penalty. And a lot of places now just budget to pay those penalties. They're not even considering. They're like, oh, no, they're just going to keep working. So it's this thing of you. I think it's very easy for people when you're constantly looking at the bottom line and everyone's being hounded to save more, even if they're working for these huge conglomerates. It's just this ugly thing of forgetting the humanity at the bottom of it, of like the people who are working these hours and then having to drive and never seeing their family. Anyway, it's a uh, bummer. And yeah, go ahead. Alonzo. I was going to say, I would just recommend if people want to hear some first person accounts of wh- why this strike is pending and, and what kind of stuff crews are subjected to. There's an Instagram account called IA underscore stories where uh, anonymously a lot of people who work various crew positions talk about the, the, the kind of hours they're expected to put in, the, 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 the amounts of time they're expected to work without a break, the exhaustion that sets in. And, you know, there's a whole thing about car accidents that happen people driving home from sets at two o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning uh not having weekends all this stuff it's 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 worth a look because you know again i I think people have this notion that like oh you know hollywood is the glamour factory but you know if you're like lugging electrical cable around or you are having to like you know mend costumes or do all the things that these folks do this is like it, it is tiring punishing labor and they need to be taken better care yeah all right well we'll on that note we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back we're gonna be talking about malignant we have wasted this world our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable but beneath the surface well that's another story entirely In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know y'all out here listening to us in your car, on a treadmill, on an air bike, on a regular bike, walking down the street, in the store. So I know you people on the move. So that's why we got something for you. Because Soylent is the original food tech company and they make delicious, nutritious, nutrition products in convenient forms. So you can stay on those treadmills, so you can stay on those sidewalks, so you can stay on those air bikes while munching down. Personally, y'all know me. Y'all seen the pics. Y'all seen I've been tweeting way too much about lifting weights. I told myself I'll calm down, and here I am. So you know I want that complete protein. It's a deliciously rich and creamy plant-based high-protein nutrition shake with 30 grams of complete plant-based protein. It has 39 essential nutrients and zero grams of total sugars. This unique, well-balanced shake also provides five grams of branched-chain amino acids, BCAAs, and 1,000 milligrams of omega-3 healthy fats. Because you need your healthy fats. Don't cut out all fats. Satisfy your protein needs without sacrificing nutrition or taste. Iffy, it will not surprise you to know, I don't even know what an air bike is, but (laughs) I am enthused by the thought of someone on one of these magical things listening to us. That's a real rush. 
Um, so the Soylent product that speaks to me and I've mentioned before, I'm a fan of the Soylent Squared. They are small in size, big in nutrition. They're just a, a hundred calories. It's a little nutrition bar and it's a really good way to tamper down like the hangries or mm. if you are someone who like I am absolutely the kind of person of like, oh yeah, I'm going to get so many green vegetables and then the minute I'm like super hungry once I have to figure out what to eat then it's like oh or I could have 15 pizzas so I like <laughs> these to kind of take the edge off of that um, they're sweet they're nutritious again I like to read everything that's in them all the ingredients that I'm like ooh, I bet that's making my nails nice so yeah Soylent Squared and the upside to all of this is that these products are good for you good for your nutrition your body uh, but they're also good for the planet uh, everything that is in uh, the Soylent products whether it's the, the squares or the shakes uh, is made from US grown sustainable sourced ingredients and they offer a complete balanced nutrition so it's a win 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 uh, you can go to Soylent.com slash MaxFilm and use the promo promo code MAXFILM to get 20% off your first order. That's S-O-Y-L-E-N-T, Soylent.com slash MAXFILM and promo code M-A-X-F-I-L-M for 20% off your first order. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Ify Wadiwe. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. And today we're talking about Malignant. Alonzo, would you mind providing us with a brief synopsis? <laughs> uh, sure. And I'm going to give the non-spoiler version. We are going to get into spoilers later on. And once we get to that part, we'll warn you and you can skip ahead if you don't want to know things. But uh, trust me, this is a movie you cannot talk about without spoiling the good stuff. And as uh, our lovely April Wolf would always say, it's not what happens in a movie, it's how it happens and oh, how it happens in Malignant. Uh, all right, so this is the uh, the new film from James Wan. He co-wrote it with uh, Ingrid Bisu and Akela Cooper. It is a, uh, you know, this is, this is the kind of movie where when you're between Aquaman movies and you just want to make a horror movie that you're going to enjoy... This is what you get. Uh, so you you have uh, uh, Madison who is um, pregnant and married to a, a terrible person, and um, things go badly, and things go even more badly. And uh, she and her sister Sydney have to uh, track down Madison's birth mother and try to uh, unlock some secrets regarding uh, her past, uh, particularly as they involve uh, a sinister looking um hospital and um yeah and then everything just goes bananas <laughs> i just remember one of my favorite scenes is she tells her sister these are women in their 20s late 20s mid 20s tells her sister in this very dramatic way i'm adopted and as someone who has an adopted sister with a different like situation i was like uh she would know what like <laughs> that's literally what why and then the sister's like what and that exact exchange in energy is what i freaking loved about this movie it was so oh, yeah. ridiculous I, I, my, yeah one of my favorite tweets was somebody who was like look james wan in aquaman gave us a, a lovecraft creature with the voice of julie andrews so don't think he's not in on the joke with malignant from start to finish 
Oh, 100%. And also, like, I love that he used a horror movie to put his bid in for another action movie because the action sequences in this movie were like, I'm like, God damn, James Wan. This is, <laughs> I'm, I'm hyped. I'm not scared. That's why. So two good points there. One, I, I do agree. There's something very funny here about him returning to horror because he obviously, he directed the first Saw. He directed The Conjuring. It's a very strong background. He's also produced like don't breathe and like he it's a genre he loves a lot and then the most recent things people have seen from him are like furious seven and aquaman obviously so you know and those are his big successes which is how you get to make this kind of horror movie (laughs) if he didn't have those successes and pitch this they'd be like yeah no 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 sir (laughs) tell your story the weirdest you can get is the conjuring so take it down (laughs) simmer down now about a million but he he was like no i have these huge successes billions of dollars in box office here's the madness i would like to unleash thank you that yeah i was describing this movie to a to my friend i was like this is a film of of a director that's in his bag and can Right, like can write his check, like you know, especially like I mean, we, you know, we've mentioned The Conjuring, we we mentioned, but I'm t- like he, Insidious and right. Saw, like right. he is like the like I feel like he can walk into any room and if it's a horror, they're like sure because he's just has that career. So I think with this movie, no matter how wild he got, they're like, look, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Yeah. And it is the other thing you said, Ify, that I think is notable about this movie is that you weren't scared. This is a horror film. Sure. When we tell you what it's about, you'll be like, yeah, that sounds terrifying. This movie is not scary. I mean, there's if you've seen even a trailer for a horror film, you know, the exact level of like, oh, jump scare you're going to get like, oh, you know, when you think there might be when you shut the cabinet door, a guy behind you. Yeah, there's going to be a guy behind you. Like <laughs> it's that level of there's some sort of like scary or like, oh, did someone just run by? But it is not that like constant dread. No. And I say this because I I feel like this is a movie sort of made for people who would not normally watch horror hey. that m- might be into something like unique and weird ass this yeah like i'm not a horror guy and if you're gonna make me watch a horror movie make me one that will just sort of like clap with glee at the chutzpah of the whole thing and that's what was going on with this movie i was having a great time and i was and it was it's a, it's a little it's it, it's not necessarily scary but it, there are shocking moments i will yes. say oh, um yeah. but i was i was just like constantly sort of delighted with its complete commitment to the bit you know um if i were the kind of person who really knows their their horror i would explain what a jalo is and whether or not this movie is one i'm sorry i can't do that because i haven't really seen that much jalo so i can't say but it's a term i've heard bandied about a lot in reference to malignant it's a reference to a specific kind of like usually 1960s italian horror filmmaking that sort of plays around with certain rules of things but i'm not the guy to sort of delineate that i yeah. feel i could speak a little to that it's to me, Malignant fits Giallo in the, the aesthetic of it. Like, it has a very specific lighting scheme, which sounds ridiculous, but if you're familiar with it, like, there's some beautifully arranged. There's this shot in particular where our heroine is laying down on a 
pillow and then we see something behind her and like she's got this red light over her face for no reason at all which <laughs> yeah. is very jello evocative and they're often films that are about um a crime unfolding and like a detective who's trying to figure it out so not like the just the like freddy krueger this mm-hmm. is all right. like they have, a, they have a specific yeah so i think there are some things but i felt this was like it was Clear to me, again, you have James Wan, who is a fan of many different subgenres within horror, very comfortable with that and just subverting it. Like yeah. took a lot of those sort of visual aesthetics and then was like, oh, but I'm also going to just do my own thing here. Yeah, I feel like there were elements to this film where if it was instead of uh, 40 million shot for 4 million could easily be a trauma film like it was like there were some <laughs> like it was just like there was that that like kind of like goofiness to it but then on top of that James Wan doing some like really cool shots there is a running sequence that is shot top down beautiful and she runs through the house and it's one of the coolest shots it, I've seen did you ever see what Gaspar Noe film is that that has like a 20 minute sequence uh, is it irreversible? It's no, it, it's, I think it's Enter the Void. Enter the, the Void, okay. Yeah. Um, if he, there's a film that has that same trip, like at a, at a nightclub, like mm-hmm. going back and forth. And, and it is, it's done really well in Malignant. And it is, you do, that's a big budget. That's the other thing too. People don't get to make movies at this budget level. Like this yeah. is so much more money you would ever put into something like this. Like Also like a horror movie too. Typically horror movies are like the easy low budget kind of cash grabby and they're like, "All right, here's 40 mil. You're James Wan." <laughs> um and the sequence and this is my last like uh thing I'll talk about the shot. I feel like we'll start to get in a spoilery country. This one isn't much of a spoiler, but I think it's further in the movie, so just to be safe, I'll say it. So, you know, uh, just skip ahead for a Consider bit. Consider yourself it, warned. Yeah. yeah. But when she starts to be paralyzed in in the murder scenes, that tearaway oh. effect was so mm. cool. And like it was, and he does it a few times. And every time I'm like, I like this. I like this showing. <laughs> like I know what's going on. And then when you find out, when you find out the twist, the way that it's shot makes so much sense too there's this is one thing i am a i am a look if you're a magician and you see me at the party i am that stereotypical black guy that david blaine always used to go to i will give you the biggest reaction i love a magic trick and i love a bread crumbsy twist the blood <laughs> on the back of the head that was unexplained i was i was like oh Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love so the the turning, the fact that it was a, a 180 turn when she turns into the yeah. the murder scene. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I think it's like Alonzo said, giddy clapping where it's like, yeah, yeah, I like it. This is it. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're gonna talk about spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Again, skip ahead. Uh yes. So it turns out that uh the the reason that Madison is seeing all these killings uh is that um the the guy who she's thought of as her imaginary friend is actually her conjoined twin who parasitic been, friend parasitic, parasitic yes. twin parasitic yeah. twin who has been taking control of her body and who becomes unleashed when her awful husband slams her against the wall so ultimately this is 
a uh, a domestic abuse revenge uh, fantasy. Yeah, I that's guess what I was going to say. Is way to, to, to go through this, uh, but no, love was, the speed sorry, in which we got one, that trash bag out of here. Love it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he was look that guy. You, he, you the first the first time you see him in the movie, he's got his shoes on the bed. So already, it's like you know he is. <laughs> Bad and then stuff. he's even worse later. Uh, yeah. The um, but no, the the uh, uh, here's the, the movie that the the reference point that is being made that I could definitely identify is a movie called Basket Case from the 1980s. What is the secret Dwayne is hiding in the basket? Which is about a guy who has there's a thing in the basket that he's carrying around, and it turns out it is his conjoined twin that was forcibly removed from his body, but the two of them still share like a psychic link or something. What's in the basket? My brother. It's a brilliantly nutball movie. And if you've never seen Basket Case, I very highly recommend it. Uh, but yeah, th- this movie just like once and, and then again, like I said, they commit to the bits. And once you know what's going on, then it just gets nuttier and nuttier. And uh, and you're right. The, the reveals are brilliant. The I think my favorite reference point, the second I got, I was like, Oh, this is like when Voldemort was in the back of Quirrell's head because it's oh. very Harry Potter for for, uh, you know, I'm part of the younger generation, Alonzo. So <laughs> like, obviously, Harry Potter would be my reference point. No, this it's, you know, the setup, you do get this very classical, like it's this woman in this very emotionally fraught time. And, you know, she's going through all this and she keeps having these like terrible visions of murders and they're coming true. And, Oh, is it happened? How is she related? And the direction that he goes. And then also the, like the, the visual like reveal of when I say parasitic twin or parasitic friend, you know, it's really like, how friendly are you with your twin? That's where it comes down. But it is the best thing I've ever seen in my life because it is like, a human cockroach in her spine. And it's so wonderfully absurd and stupid. And then you're like, yes, they're just doing it. But I also think this movie tells you its tone from line one on. Like it starts in like the 1980s, of course, at a at, a, at some <laughs> asylum somewhere, because that's where her movie starts. And it's this doctor who's like, oh, he's escaped again. <laughs> and she runs down and like, She's speaking in such a mannered way and the hallways are lit so dangerous. Like it is so overwrought from the second it starts. This movie knows the tone it's making setting and it's so consistent. It's not like, oh, it took a minute to hit its stride. Like he knew what he was doing when making it. And that's a big difference of when you're taking a swing like this, being in uh, steady hands is a pretty crucial element or else it's like, yeah, I guess it's, a few things, whereas this is pretty consistently fun and ridiculous. I, th- I have to share the joke that I wanted to tell on Twitter, but it was a, oh, it yeah. was a, it was a spoiler. So the scene where Gabriel like takes over Madison's body, like breaks the arm or, or like mm-hmm. dislocates the shoulder so the arms will go it, to the back instead of to the front, uh, and like just lays waste to an entire police station full of cops. I turned to Dave and I said. Gabriel does everything Michael Myers does, but in heels and backwards. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is gosh. good. That's that a is good one. A one. I, yeah. I, that's you. You got to let that one fire. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, 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 that one. The, that's not just a Dave joke. That's yeah. an everyone. Joke. Yeah. That is that's a wider the, audience. The layers yeah. to it. Oh yeah. No, that's. Oh yeah. That was, I do that wanna, scene was great. I want to give it up to 
the guy who played the cop, the mm-hmm. main cop, yes. was so handsome and yes. so oh, yeah. charismatic and just so comfortable. He's such a star. And George I was like, Young. who is yeah. this beautiful man? So I can stalk him forever. And I did enough to discover he like has his law degree. Like he went like all the way through law school and then was like, I think I'd like to try acting now. Anyway, he I thought he's in the bread factory yeah. movies. And also, yeah, yeah if I you, saw, yes, I didn't even recognize him from this. If you're worried about, you know, this is something that I think always comes up with doing things in the entertainment industry and worried about, like, if your time is up, Mans is 41 years old. He, I will say he definitely has, you know, that uh, uh, that person of color specialty gene where he looks like he's yes. way 25. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like, it's like, not what? inappropriate when, that he flirts with the sister. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking I, when it said 41. I was like, oh, man. I, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> he's a babe but yeah. i enjoyed all of the cast like i thought that the woman annabelle wallace who played your, the lead actress was incredible that's i mean that's some heavy lifting because she is at the center yeah. of all of this stupidness wonderfully executed stupidness but stupidness nonetheless and she is has to play it all straight she's terrified a lot of the time she is you know, she's going through this like huge emotionally wrought journey. And I thought she did a great job because those are difficult. Also, when you think of how many scenes she had to do, that was just her on a green screen. Mm. And it was like, okay, so now the walls behind <laughs> you, they're turning into different walls. <laughs> and it's so scared. Oh, you're so disoriented. Oh, sc- so scared. So scared. Anyway, I was very impressed. That's how I would direct. That's why I'm not a director. <laughs> So, Dre, you really have a gift with actors, I have to who's say. Who's my scared girl? Who's my big scared girl? <laughs> uh, you know, one of the uh, questions that, uh, another question that Casey had up here is like, how do we feel about this kind of being uh, different than than the quote unquote elevated uh, horror, as we know, coined by April Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> she loves word. it. Uh, she loves that term. <laughs> um yes it, and and i do like it this yeah like like it it kind of felt old school in that way of like fun horror films like i feel like now everything is so dark and even my 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 horror bay ari aster is like everything is so bleak and scary <laughs> things are bad but this one was like like i think like we've said is not scary <laughs> i think i mean I, I i always kind of feel like there's everything is out there all the time like what was yeah. the horror movie this year the the, the werewolf one that yeah. everybody werewolves said within. Yeah. Were, werewolves yeah. Within. Yeah. yeah so you know like I, I i mean i think that it's so much horror happens if it's a question of like what are people talking about what are you willing to look for but yeah i, I think at any given moment you can find something that that has some tone and that has some you know like some 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 lofty aspirations and then you can find like goofy gut bucket stuff and everything in between you know um i think it is unusual that you get a movie that is this sort of sprightly in its you know like how how much fun it's having with horror tropes out of a major studio from a named director because yeah certainly uh you know people like ari aster you know the 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 movies that are that get you know like the real the real releases let's say uh yeah generally speaking will will tend to be on the you know oh well i mean yes it's, it's a horror movie we're really trying to say something about you know the environment or whatever the fuck. And no, this is just like James Wan is somebody who loves the genre and knows the genre really well. And is just like, just, you know, digging in with all the hands. Yeah, I agree. I think the main difference is 
a studio release and at this budget. But I think, you know, Nicolas Cage alone is making um, <laughs> absurdist genre films constantly that are, you know, absolute nutball and um, not seen by enough people. But yeah, I think it's more if you're seeking those things out. And sometimes that's like, that is one of the benefits of your studio film or your theatrical releases. There's a ton of people who are not seeing or don't have access to all of the hundreds of films that are made a year by that Nicolas might be Cage. satisfying something. Yes. By Nicolas Cage alone. Um, and some with other people, but you know, if you're, if you're not like in the mix, if you don't have a ton of streaming, if you're not following, if you're not on shutter or going to following what came out at fantastic fest or whatever else, there's certainly so many things that are going to be lost to you unless you are like surfing through the rentals constantly. And those are such a crapshoot, literal yeah. crapshoot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. But mostly, you guys, let's just remember how April Wolf invented the term elevated horror. That's, That's right. That's really yeah, our yeah, yeah. strongest takeaway. Take from this episode. Yeah. Let that be. If you ever meet her. Tell her thank, thank you for thank that. Thank her for that. <laughs> Sincerely. Yep. I do want to point out that I think Casey's question, Casey prepares really thoughtful questions. Yeah, yeah. And we typically go on and ignore them. <laughs> but I think he's got a real point here. Please tell the listeners if you yourselves have a parasitic twin. <laughs> and I think you know that my answer is no, but I do have a parasitic friend. Mm, yeah, uh, That is none of your beeswax. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that uh, my girlfriend, Molly, while we were watching and we got the reveal, she paused the movie and turned over to me to say that she was supposed to be born a twin and then absorbed her twin. Uh, and so like, she'll, and I forget the name of it, but she has one earlobe that's connected in one that is that isn't because that is the, the the what she absorbed from her twin. Uh, so that is you know. exactly the moment when she should have revealed that to you. Yeah, so yeah, I kudos know. to Molly. <laughs> I was like, I was oh cool. So you just want funny story. My sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just you know, this Pause. might be me. Fun fact. <laughs> oh my god, amazing. Well, on that note. <laughs> For our final review of Malignant, uh, and for my possible final review, period, uh, would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? Oh, I would so screen it, and I, I have to say, this is a movie. Th this is now maybe the other, the only other movie besides Barb and Star from this year where I wish I could see it with a full mm -hmm. theater of people. Yes. Because I think um, seeing it with a crowded theater, people who didn't know what was coming, would have just been a whole nother thing. But even true, still. Yeah. Even just being on the couch with with Dave and, and us not knowing, like I, I, I even before we had decided we were doing it on the show, the kind of stuff I was hearing about her online made me realize, A, I needed to see this thing and B, I needed to see it before anybody ruined it for me. And so uh, I, you know, it would have been really great to have that that shared moment. Again, going back to the Paramount thing, this is what we go to movies for. But uh, if, if you're just going to watch it on HBO Max, you'll still enjoy it. It still has a lot of fun. Oh, screen it. I thought this was so fun. I saw several people refer to it as camp or having camp elements. And that's probably a whole other discussion. Yeah. But I do think that it gave me that same sort of satisfaction that like when I was watching it and cheering, I totally agree with Alonzo. I think if you saw this with a, an audience, the reaction at the reveal would be akin to like if you 
were in a DeLorean and then yeah, the lightning hit and your flux capacitor went up to 155 gigawatts. Like that is the energy you would feel with the whole crowd of people watching that reveal all together. But, you know, basically my cats almost brought me the same thing. We were all <laughs> delighted, delighted yeah. by it throughout. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm screwing it too. And Alonzo just totally made me realize how much this would have been fun on a Friday night pack theater, even more so what I like to do for a movie like this is go to what used to be the Magic Johnson Theater in Crenshaw, where there is a unwritten rule that people are just going to be talking in a movie. And that that was the same movie. If you ever heard me tell the story of where I was watching Darkness Falls and started covering my eyes and they're like, this this nigga scared. Like that's what someone yelled in an active movie, putting the spotlight on me. Everyone laughed. It's a scary movie. We shouldn't even be doing sidebars, but that's, I would love to watch Malignant in that the in in that in because oh you just know you just know yeah. it's about to be <laughs> man oh come on y'all let's 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 be safe let's get vaccinated so we can get back to watching movies like this in theaters like that Please. oh my gosh oh, okay <laughs> we'll be right back after a short break Hey folks, it's me, James Arthur M, host of Minority Corner, your home through these bewild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. That's how you get Joel Schumacher putting nipples on Batman. Yeah. I didn't ask, like, and I say no. this as a game, I say this as a gay man, didn't ask for it. I don't need to see no. Batman's nipples on his suit. Who is this for? Who is this for? <laughs> I did a bunch of research. I wanted to just know about the history of black people in Argentina. So. Not only did they erase black people from their history, they also started to flip and use it as slurs. We're not done. Like, we're not done with the work that needs to yeah. be done. And so stay awake. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together, we're the majority. Finally, we have an excuse to talk to you about cats because... You could give your feline friend protein-packed meals they'll crave with Smalls. Smalls is a fresh human-grade food for cats delivered right to your doorstep. I have not gotten my hands on them. Therefore, my cats have not gotten their paws on them. But I'm telling you, this is what I'm psyched for. Their whole thing is because they're like these high-quality, bougie ingredients. It leads to a better, healthier life for my cats. My cats and I, they have packs. They are not allowed to die ever till at least a day after I do. Um, and so since switching to smalls, that apparently cats experience improved digestion Ooh. and a less smelly litter box. Oh, These are yeah. things that you want. If you've got a cat now. Yeah, yeah, I got a cat and she be funking up the bathroom. Uh, Puar is, is, is stanking it up, but it's cool because she likes to hide in the bathroom and I took a dump and now, uh, now I put it, I put the, I put it back on her. Uh, so, but I think we'll, <laughs> we'll both change our diets. I'll give her smalls and then I'll eat less meats and, uh, and we'll have a happier bathroom. <laughs> Wow. Uh, 
Take a short quiz on smalls.com slash maxfilm to customize your sampler and use the code maxfilm for a total of 30% off your first order. That's smalls.com slash maxfilm code M-A-X-F-I-L-M. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm Yosef Uwadiwe. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Drea Clark. And as we announced a few weeks ago, Maximum Film has established a beautiful hall of excellence. This is a place where we honor the aspects of film that we deem excellent. We have two people currently in the hall, Adam Driver and Dame Helen Mirren. And this week, we will add another. And, and we're going to by- add another because we honor their aspects. Is yeah, that yeah. it? Yeah, okay, yeah, I just yeah. want to make sure I heard that correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the aspects of film myself, so I get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Totally. Inspired by the movie Malignant, the category under which we are placing an entity in the hall this week is Best Horror Movie Performance. Alonzo, Drea, and I each have our nominees, but we must decide between them which one gets a place in the hall. Drea, please begin. Who is your nominee? Well, thank you. I would like to begin. And also, I'm excited because I want you to know I'm picturing this as the mansion from Clue. So our hall of excellence <laughs> is just around the corner from the dining room and the conservatory. So it really all works out for me. Um, that's how I, I just I want to enter you guys. I just want you in my fantasy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want us all in this shared space together that's important to us. And then like the lit photos on the wall of Adam Driver and Dame Helen Mirren that are already in there. So um, my There's a thunderstorm outside. Oh, every night. <laughs> yeah, it's nonstop. I mean, it, it's really looks like the house from Clue. And I mean, the movie. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. OK, so my I and, and, and you guys, I don't want to say that I think I'm right before I even tell you, but like I'm right. So I'm really hoping to like win you over on this best horror movie performance for me. In, you know, decades to choose from, right? Decades of performances. But I'm looking at a more modern film that really kind of set the aspects of this uh, genre on fire. Um, And this person's performance in it was one of the smaller ones, but it was integral to understanding the world building. And I am speaking of Betty Gabriel in the motion picture Get Out. Betty, for those of you who may not remember, played the housekeeper um, of the White family, as if he would say. And, you know, as we watch the movie and we realize, oh, oh, there's someone trapped in. Oh, she is trapped inside her own body that has been commandeered by a white soul. And there is a moment when it sort of breaks free and she has this very intense no, 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 no. Oh, no. 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 No, 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 no. I do something. That's not my experience. Not at all. The Armitages are so good to us. They treat us like family. And it is so riveting and something that I cannot imagine how many different ways it could have gone wrong. And what we get from her 
and how she carries herself with performance because she's playing two characters at the same time in the same body. And you get that. And I think she does an incredible job. And I'm probably right. But I'm excited to hear your guys' choices. Well, my uh, nominee also uh, is playing two characters. Um, <gasps> Ooh, fun. And, you know, it, it is a sorry state of the Academy Awards. It's one of the many things that bugs me about them is that they, they have been traditionally fairly closed off to comedy, but really closed off to horror. Like pretty much the, the, the horror performances that have ever won. I think it's Anthony Hopkins and Kathy Bates basically is it. And then you can throw in Sigourney Weaver's Aliens nomination, but that's kind of about it. Uh, and this is a, a nomination. This is a performance that absolutely should have been an Oscar nominee that year and wasn't. But when this performer won a couple years later for another film that was more palatable to the Academy, he did, in fact, name in his thank you speech the director of the film for which I feel he deserves this honor. I'm talking about Jeremy Irons in David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where he plays a two twin gynecologists. Uh, it is one of the most unsettling films I've ever seen. And I don't even have a uterus. If you um, do, I mean, no, don't. I get it. You're I, fine. I, I, I don't. <laughs> but it is it's an extraordinary performance uh the the slow descent into madness that he takes on and the two completely delineated characters who at certain points of the film pretend to be each other uh like there's just an amazing amount of ag he's basically playing four characters really yeah um so yeah it's i think just just one of the great <laughs> landmark performances in cinema ever they and, are setting uh, the tone for face off when he is playing exactly. the one playing the other you know a very well recognized tone for sure oh, yeah. but he's doing but he's doing all four by himself yes uh so yeah i, I just think jeremy irons in dead ringers it, it gives an astonishing performance and uh it's when whenever i think about like great horror performances it's always the first one i think of well uh those were all amazing uh, performances but one i have to go with is one that has uh stuck with me possibly my whole life one that was so good it had to come back if you say the this person i swear to god if it's renee selberger and judy uh, no it, it's not that was a fantastic movie uh definitely on the mount rushmore of our films that we've covered uh but the this 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 is not someone playing two characters this is actually uh someone who has a two first names and i have to say tony todd Candyman. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come be my victim. Uh, th that is, you know, he he's nailed it, and I don't think it's one it's one of those roles where you're like, man, I don't know who else could have done it. One of those roles that I think has, un I, I, I want to say, unfortunately, because I feel like, you know, as an actor, this kind of sucks, but has defined his career. Uh, he is like, it's hard to see him and not see Candyman. Uh, but, you know, uh, what we like to call the nurse ratchet effect. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's solid. It's great. It's it's it's, you know, a, yeah. a, just a, a dude who wants a white woman. The fact that you didn't call it the Louise Fletcher effect is, is <laughs> the know, exact right? thing that's it's going really on with just that driving effect. the point home. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody would have thought he meant Ellen Burstyn, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> OK, that's a good one. 
That's a good one. These yeah. are these are good. You All know, these I mean, you choices guys, are, are very... You know, we're good at what we do. What can we yeah. say? Now, though, we fight to the death to figure out which uh. one goes in the hall. We, we only have... There's a single podium here that I'm staring at, right? It has, like, a perfect beam of light coming onto mm. it. Like, which bust do we put on this podium? I will acknowledge the hall is real Caucasian at this point. So if I need mm. to sort of, like, <laughs> let Sir Jeremy stand down, I, I could um, probably, you know... See, we point. do what the Academy won't. Ooh, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> um, I would make the case that while both of these remaining performances are, are really powerful, that um, uh, Betty Gabriel is basically, we're talking about one really extraordinary scene, whereas I think Tony Todd is yeah. called upon to do more and to do more at length. In Candyman, mm. by the same token, he had real bees in his by mouth. The, uh, yeah, well, let's, let's never forget. By the same, <laughs> by the same token, I think that there, his role is much more of a physical presence, whereas hers is like I think maybe more sort of concentrated acting going on. Well, you've yeah, really given us good things for both sides. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm not making this any easier for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I would agree. Betty Gabriel is tricky because we are saying like best horror movie performance. And then to me, I read that and I'm like, I'm looking at the actual performance. Um, Tony Todd is this titular character. The whole thing is structured around him. He's certainly both menacing and heartbreaking um, to both things. I do think I would say Betty has a stronger performance of yeah. what she's you know calibrating at and, and what she's giving. But I also, there is something about, there's a certain level of sympathy that you need the Candyman to garner mm. when you're watching it that I don't, I don't know if many, uh, many could pull that off. Would you guys yeah. agree? I mean, again, he's a, he's a sympathetic like monster. Right. Yes. Yeah. A there, sympathetic there, monster, indeed. There, There is like that element of that. But I do think there, the point that is, been made both times which is very important to consider is the acting performance and you know tony todd phenomenal at the role also six five so he has that built-in just looming presence over you know his partners whereas like to pull that out and also to deliver like it's interesting because it's like it's two roles, but then there's still a shade of it because up until the reveal, this is a person acting like a person trying to pretend they're not that person, you know? And we say, so we, we, we went into it not really knowing that this was a, we knew something was weird about her, but we didn't know it was a, a white woman inside her. We thought it was and just her terrible hair. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then when we get the reveal and that light break in the the character uh, that that character was playing, I I think I'm I am now leaning. In what that I'm hearing well. is that you agree that I was right. I'm just kidding. Oh uh, yeah. I There's no such thing as right to... and wrong with performances. <laughs> um, but you know, I and I could be I could be talked into either way. I don't know if he. I feel like we should make Alonzo have to choose. Yeah, yeah. Alonzo, you you're think? the tiebreaker. Like, I, yeah. I personally think that's all we can do right here yeah. is make Alonzo oh, be the tiebreaker. <laughs> do it. Do it. Uh, you know, I think that... See, that's the thing. I mean, I think in both cases, you could make a case that, that the movie doesn't work without 
what they bring to the the film and if that's the case then i think i have to go with which i think is the better of the two movies which is get out and so i think i have to vote for betty gabriel you guys betty gabriel hey deserves to be in a hall with adam driver and dame helen mirren like think of her think of her right there think of what she gave for that performance think of that ugly wig and twin set she wore for how many days <laughs> that alone on a blumhouse I, budget i don't even know what, what kind of craft services they had going it's so true okay i feel great about this you guys i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i feel yeah. spectacular also i'm gonna definitely have nightmares about cronenberg's freaking gynecological <laughs> instruments again so thank you alonzo instruments for operating on mus- mutant women as they're called oh, all right well uh you know what time it is uh and thank you uh to my esteemed uh, co-host for lining the halls with another phenomenal performance but let's line our listeners with some phenomenal movies because it's time for staff picks it could be any movie at all alonzo why don't you start so uh we were just talking about the fact that uh, the the handsome policeman from the film Malignant, Mr. George Young, uh, you know, among his credits are uh, a pair of films that I was a huge, huge fan of when they came out a couple years ago. Uh, and you can watch both parts of the A Bread Factory saga, A Bread Factory uh, Part 1 and Part 2, uh, on both Canopy and Ovid. And um, these are films that are set in a small town where a uh, long-closed bread factory that has been a community arts center is now in danger of being uh, turned into condos. And that's sort of a, just the, the, the jumping off point for a movie that includes everything from like town meetings and uh, political negotiating to Janine Garofalo giving the f- most hilarious filmmaker Q&A at a film festival you've ever seen to spontaneous musical numbers that come out of nowhere. It's a- an indescribable film, but it is so rich and so unpredictable and surprising and just, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those movies that's really hard to describe to people, but you just have to say, you got to see it. You got to see it. And uh, you you got to see it on Canopy or on Ovid, where they're available streaming right now. And you can see more of the handsome George Young. Mm, I love that. Shout out to Canopy. Shout out Canopy. All right. So for me, um, I have a film that premiered at the... Uh, World famous Sundance Film Festival. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. And um, comes out this Friday, September 17th. It's called The Nowhere Inn. It's being released uh, digitally. So you can rent it on your sort of iTunes, Voodoo, what that. It will also be in some theaters in some places. But it is um, starring and directed by, or no, sorry, starring um Annie Clark, no relation to me, sadly, that many of you know as St. Vincent, who is a musician oh. and fabulous performer. Um, and she also stars and co-wrote it with Carrie Brownstein. Um, many people know as the co-writer and co-star of Portlandia, who was also in Slater Kinney. And um, and then Dakota Johnson shows up as Carrie's girlfriend. And it's a it's a mockumentary about St. Vincent, like she wants her friend Carrie to come and make this documentary about how she is. But like, it's actually how boring Annie Clark is in real life. And so then they sort of spruce it up. So it's doing things about um, fame and 
celebrity and how people present themselves and how they don't. And there's little like music videos sprinkled through because it was shot sort of concurrently with St. Vincent's, um, I think the mass education tour. So it's very fun and doing its own thing and, and swinging broadly in some points, but I, it's the kind of sort of original thing. So if you are into any of those women, I encourage you to check it out. What you got, Ify? No, rounding it off, it's uh, two anniversary films. Two anniversary films that I'm kicking off. Uh, one, if you uh, were paying attention to my Twitter, you saw me tweet about showing it to Naomi for the first time, which is it's the 35th anniversary of Labyrinth. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see Dave Bowie with a rocking cock, uh, you know, uh, in a bunch of Muppets and it's, uh, <laughs> and some, and, and them having like, I was like, okay, Jim Henson, y'all were wallin'. There's literally a puckered sphincter in a pond, uh, that farts <laughs> in the bog, of, but it's like cute. It's great. Naomi really loved it. Um, junk ladies, uh, scare, scary. Everyone agrees. But then there's another anniversary literally today, September 15th. In 1995, one of the most influential movie to millennials was dropped. Of course, I'm talking about Hackers. It is the uh, wow. it is the 26th anniversary. I mean, if you want to get ready to hack. The 26th, Alonzo. Oh, Everyone yeah. knows the uh, the most recognizable of anniversaries. Also, yeah. and that's the day that Showgirls opened. So how dare you? <laughs> Look, showgirls uh, weren't hacking the planet. Alonso knew without <laughs> you know? looking up. I mean, Matthew Lillard, uh, you know, before his shaggy fame, Angelina Jolie, come on. We, we just lots of fun, lots of uh, <laughs> fake hacking, uh, which which is always fun to look at in older movies. Uh, you know, even Enhance. got Pin Gillette in there, Enhance. you know, before we Enhance. figured out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So those those are my two recommendations. Hackers, you can actually watch completely for free on YouTube. Like the whole movie's on YouTube for free and not illegally. Like it's just YouTube movies has it for free, which is wild uh, that YouTube is like, yeah, we just got some shit for free. Uh, something I did not know. <laughs> Anybody want to hackers? You can have it. But yeah, so uh, definitely check those out. That's super. And, and Labyrinth is on Netflix right now if you want to watch that. Um, but thank you, Trey and Alonzo, for another great show. Uh, I, I truly look forward to just yelling into a mic about movies. Uh, and who knows? Eventually, maybe we'll be in a hot-ass room stuffed together uh, where we have to take breaks and turn the fan on for a couple of seconds, and then it comes off, uh, and, it, and I'm kicking the mic. Casey's mad because he has to edit it out every time I kick the mic. Maybe we'll get back to that soon. I mean, this I'm is living the this dream. the best? alternative uh we'll never know uh and like i said at the top of the show if you have five minutes to spare we could use your help with an audience survey just go to maximumfund.org forward slash ad survey ad survey to fill it out it could help the show get a little extra income through ads that are relevant to you so thank you for that and if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show tweet at us at maximum underscore film our facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash maximum film or send us an email at maximum film at maximum fun.org our producer is casey o'brien our senior producer is kevin ferguson and this is a production of maximum fun maximum fun.org comedy and culture artist owned 
audience supported.